Good morning, Living Streams. How are you guys doing? Um, well, today uh, is going to be a bit of a different message. I know half the time that I preach I say that, but I feel like I just like shifting into weird gears that we don't use often on Sunday. Uh, in particular, uh, today, if you're looking for the one point that I'm trying to make, which is like normal in a sermon to try to kind of make one point, really illustrate it and get into it, uh, you're going to be really confused because I have a lot more than one points. Um, and I'm not even going to give you a list of all the 12 points that I'm making today. It's not a BuzzFeed article. Um, and, and really what we're trying to do, rather, is look at a passage of Scripture that's a bit longer than what we would normally look at on a Sunday morning. Um, and we're going to really try to dig in to see, like, what is God saying here? Um, and I think that's so important. Along, along the way, um, what I'm hoping to do uh, is, as, as we really study is to expose you to some tools uh, that maybe you don't use on a regular kind of, you know, Monday morning quiet time, but to be able to dig deep into the Word of God and study a bit deeper than normal. Uh, in fact, one of them is an app called Blue Letter Bible, which you might want to download right now uh, or at some point in the next 10 minutes or so. Uh, you don't have to. It'll be on the screen, but I think it would be really good for you to have that. Uh, you could also go to blueletterbible.org. There's other apps like that. Um, I won't have time to show you how to use that today. Um, I'll just kind of show you what I'm doing on there. Um, but if you want to learn how to use that, how to study the Greek and the Hebrew and stuff a little bit deeper, you can email me, and I'll connect you with someone in our, in our congregation uh, who would love to show you how to do that. There are lots of people, maybe even someone in your life group who knows how to do that. Um, I'm also more okay today with being a bit boring. Uh, usually we spend a lot of time paying attention to pacing and telling fun stories, and I'll, I'll put a little bit of that in there. Um, but today I'm hoping the inherent tension of the passage that we're studying uh, in Ephesians, which is a, a bit um, what's one people argue over, and the implications, the ramifications of what it's saying are really significant. So I'm hoping that internal tension will just keep you on the edge of your seat. And the pay dirt of like, what is the word of God actually saying to us? I'm hoping that will be enough to keep you engaged. So put on a little more focus than usual. It's going to take a little more energy from you to track uh, than it usually will. And as normal, I'm going to speak at a million words a second uh, because I really wish that I had two hours to preach this sermon instead of uh, 30 minutes. Plus, we have like 10 baptisms uh, this morning, which is so exciting. So we got to make some room for that. So uh, with that being said, um, we're going to be looking at some passages of Paul's letter to the Ephesians that are so countercultural uh, that uh, nearly 2,000 years later, people are still arguing about whether or not Paul meant what he said and what exactly it was that he said. I mean, people literally argue, did he mean that? Like he said, did he really mean that? Um, and and uh, so uh, let's just jump right into it, if we will. So a uh, larger passage of scripture, uh, Ephesians 5, 18b, so starting halfway through the verse, all the way through uh, 6, verse 9. It says this, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, uh, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
Uh, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, A lot of kids in the room today, so great. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, and really slaves would be a good translation of that word there. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or is free." Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. My guess is that about now there are a lot of uncomfortable people in the room. Um, uh, If you've been around church for a long time and you kind of study the Bible and theology and stuff, you're thinking, oh my gosh, what way is Alec going to go with this? I don't know, I'm so uncomfortable. If you're new to to church, you're probably thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Did we really just read a passage of the Bible that in a few short paragraphs seem to endorse misogyny and toxic parenting and then, and then and it's slavery? Like, did that, did that just happen? Um, and I wanna point something out. Um, we are engaging when we read the Bible, when we read anything, we're engaging in interpersonal communication, right? Paul is saying something, us as well as the Ephesians are listening, we're reading it. And if you know anything about communication, you know that it opens the door to the possibility of miscommunication. Sometimes the, the, the communicator miscommunicates. Sometimes the listener misunderstands. Sometimes they're just crossed wires because they're coming from different perspectives and there's a different context that the communicator and the listener are, are, are interacting with. Um, and sometimes there are certain words or phrases that freak us out and we just shut down whoever's saying them, right? Um, like imagine if I said vaccines and face masks right now. You're like, don't do it, don't do it. You're thinking, I don't want to argue with you, and, or maybe you're thinking, I don't want to pretend to not want to argue with you, and just be like, oh yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying on that, right? But then imagine in 2019, I said face masks and vaccines, you're like, whatever. That means nothing. Why are we talking about those? are two very random things to talk about. Why are we talking about that? Why? Because our context has changed, right? Paul is writing in a different context. So we hear the words, slaves obey, wives submit, and we go, because <laughs> we have a very different context. I would submit to you that I genuinely believe that the Ephesians, as they read this letter, they were very uncomfortable with what Paul said, but for the exact opposite reasons as you and I get a little bit squeamish as we read these passages. Um, And so that's gonna bring us into a bit of a study of the cultural context of what Paul is saying in the original Greek language. Now I wanna say something before we dig into that. You don't need the cultural context or the original language to be able to read the English Bible and hear the word of God and be edified by it. English translators have done a magnificent job on nearly every page of the Bible. This is one of the very few instances we'll point out today uh, where I think there's a, a lot of value in saying, ah, I think they might have maybe dropped the ball a little bit here. But even in this passage, you could 
read it and hear what God says, and it could have a profoundly godly impact on your life and your relationships. Uh, you don't need that cultural context in the same way. You can read carefully and God will speak to you. Yet, at the same time, it can be really helpful to bring clarity when we're confused, right? So speaking of the cultural context, the first thing that's important for us to understand is that Paul is talking about household management. The, household, the word for household in Greek uh, is the word oikos. David Stockton talked about that a couple weeks ago. Actually, a little while ago when we emailed some people that we really trust and value their discipleship to Jesus and their love of the scripture, uh, John Chong, who's hanging out here today, probably doesn't want me to point to him, um, but he said, hey, I think if we're going to talk about life together, we got to talk about oikos, the household, because it meant so much different, su- such a different thing uh, to the ancient Greco-Roman world than it does to you and I. When we say household, we think of the immediate family. In the ancient Greco-Roman world, it meant so much more than that. It was the immediate family. It was also the extended family. It was also people who were not blood-related. That would include the slaves uh, or some people who are economically tied to the oikos, to the household. Um, and this is, there are so many implications that I wish I could go down those rabbit trails, but I won't. Um, another thing that's important for us to understand about the oikos, about household management, is that at the top of the household is the paterfamilias, the, the father of the family, the patriarch. And, and the paterfamilias was the absolute ruler of the oikos. He had the authority of capital punishment. He could have anybody in the family executed because not only were the slaves his property, but also uh, the women and the children. And really, everybody was considered, to some extent, a child under the paterfamilias even the adults. Um, When an infant was born, he could say, I don't want that infant in the oikos, leave it outside and we'll see if the infant can figure out how to fend for itself. And of course they would die unless some Christians came to pick it up, which is what would normally happen in the first and second century. Um, and then, uh, you know, when he did have a child that they accepted, which most of them they would, the, the paterfamilias wouldn't raise the kid as actively as we think of dads doing today. He would, of course, have some interaction with the kid, but there would be a slave, a, a, a pedagogue, a tutor that would raise the kid a little bit more directly and be more involved in, in the education of the child, the, kind of the holistic education. Um, the next thing that's important for us to understand uh, once we talk about household management is that Paul is not speaking into a vacuum where like no one has talked about this, but there's been discussion in the Greco-Roman world for three or 400 years at least of household management. And we can trace it back at least to Aristotle, but I'm sure it goes further back. And in Paul's day, people were talking about the things that Aristotle said a few hundred years prior about household management. And as you read Aristotle, I did this a couple weeks ago, in preparation for this message, as I was reading what Aristotle says about household management, I started to grieve because I heard in Aristotle's words the abusive voices that have appropriated Paul's words to abuse women and children and to make slaves of people. And I grieve because I realized that people, there's been a, a tradition of distortion of the word of God to read Aristotle into Paul instead of Paul against Aristotle. Paul is, it seems to me, very clearly speaking against the ideas that Aristotle presents. I um, mean, so you can look it up. It's actually on the internet. You can find it. It takes half hour, hour to read. You're smart enough, I promise. Uh, book one of Aristotle on politics. Um, he, he, I'll, I'll summarize it for you, though. He says this, basically. We're going to have a larger conversation about politics, he says. So let's start by kind of getting to, to the smallest unit, right? And he says the smallest unit of the state, of society, is the oikos, the household. Um, he says the oikos can be further subdivided into the relationships between master and slave, uh, and uh, father and child and husband and wife. And then he says, you know, the, the, uh, just like the, the soul is inherently superior to the body, which, by the way, ancient Christians always held that to be heresy. That's Greek thought that sometimes leaks into Christian thought, but it's not orthodox. We don't agree with that. He says, just like the, the soul is superior to the body and therefore rules it completely, right? Your body does whatever your soul says. 
In the same way, he says, uh, and this is Aristotle's words, definitely not mine. He says, uh, the superior man ought to rule over uh, the slave and the child and the wife, and the, well, or any women. Um, he says, you know, the rule of the master over the servant ought to be despotic. The rule of the father over the child ought to be monarchical. The rule of the husband over the wife ought to be constitutional, which is to say a written down political decision, but also absolute and unchallenged. And then, you know, he muses, you know, is it necessary for women and children uh, and slaves to, to, to develop virtue and progressive thinker that Aristotle was? He says, yeah, but to a lesser degree, a lesser caliber, because they have a lesser hand in life. The slave, for example, Aristotle says, only needs to develop enough virtue uh, to obey, to do what they're told. They don't need to like it. They don't need to understand it. They don't need to learn from it. They just need enough virtue to do what they're told. Of course, the man needs much more virtue to be developed. Um, in uh, in w- an excerpt from his book on ethics, so skipping over another book, he says, you know, there are relationships where you have someone superior and someone inferior. And in those relationships, the inferior person should love the superior person more. And in all of this discussion, when he's talking about wives and children and slaves and, and the potter familius, the men, uh, he, he doesn't even, I don't think it's an intentional slight. Aristotle, Aristotle doesn't even consider speaking uh, to the wives or children or slaves. And so we realize that Paul, in the very structure of what he's saying in Ephesians 5 and 6, is already being shockingly countercultural because he does address the wives and children and slaves. Not only that, he addresses them before he addresses the paterfamilias. And then if we pay attention to what Paul says, it's even more shocking. And I think it's so important that we get this right because people in our society have abused the words of Paul because they've distorted them. And I want us to know the difference between the kind of people who are studying the word of God because they want to know what did God say because I want to submit my life to that and the people who are using these tools like Greek and Hebrew and cultural context to distort or dilute the word of God, right? Because we can see over the course of society uh, that our society has been soaking, you know, for at least Western society has been soaking in the word of God for 2,000 years and so whether people like it or not, we have kind of developed a conscience that leans into what Paul is actually saying here. And it makes us uncomfortable with, you know, words like wives submit and slaves obey. That's the only reason we're uncomfortable is because we've actually picked up whether we realize it or not and what Paul is actually saying. And those who've wanted to abuse women and children and make slaves in our society, to a large part, have only been able to do that as much as they have been able to successfully distort these words. And so if we want to get rid of the abuse, maybe instead of discarding these passages, maybe we ought to study them really well, right? And so that's gonna bring us to a discussion on the original language, right? So the first thing we need to know, and you can go ahead and pull up Ephesians 5 in Blue Letter Bible if you've got it, um, and, and if you guys would do that on the slide too as well. Thank you. Um, the first thing for us to know about uh, the original language is that in ancient Greek, as weird as this sounds, punctuation had not yet been invented. You can Google pictures of ancient you know, New Testament manuscripts and see this for yourself. There are no periods, no, no commas, no exclamation marks. There are not even spaces between words. They haven't invented a difference in paragraph. So that means that translators, when they're translating it into English, have to make those decisions. Most of the time, those are easy decisions. Sometimes they're hard decisions. Sometimes they're controversial decisions. Sometimes, most of the time, they get it pretty right. Sometimes, arguably, they, they seem to get it wrong. This is one of the few examples uh, where I think they kind of mess up a little bit, to be honest. 
Um, also, we gotta know that the verses and the chapters were added in a few hundred years ago. They're not the inspired word of God. They're there to help us reference the inspired word of God. Uh, also, also, the section headings are put in there by the translators. They are also not the inspired word of God. They're there to help us reference. So, um, so knowing that, we read uh, Ephesians 5, 21 and 22. It says, uh, 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, and most of your English translations will have period, end of sentence, end of thought, end of paragraph, end of section, new section, new thought, new paragraph, wives and husbands. And then verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Why is this important? Well, it's interesting that we have two sentences about submit, um, that our English translators have chosen to break apart in a way that doesn't happen in the Greek. Um, and it gets a little more curious as you dig into the Greek. Um, we'll do that in a second, but not quite yet. First, let's look into some of the vocabulary that's gonna pop up all over the place. So we'll click on verse 21. Uh, you could look at commentaries and all sorts of tools on here, but we'll click on interlinear concordance. On the left, you have the Greek. On the right, you have the English. Um, and so the first word in that sentence is hypotasso, uh, which gets translated in English as submit to or be subject to. I know you can't quite read all of that, but you know, I'm just trying to show you that I'm not making this stuff up. Um, and you can check it out for yourself. And I want you to check it out for yourself. Um, and so when we click on the word hypotasso, you can kind of skim through that and see that, yeah, the word submit is a good translation here. Um, a slightly more literal translation might be the word subordinate, right? To place oneself under the other person. There's a military uses of this word, right? Like how a private is below a captain or a lieutenant or something along those lines, right? And so Paul is saying, place yourselves under one another, submit to one another. And then we go back uh, to the Greek here and we say, okay, to one another in the phobos of Christ. Uh, and that word phobos, you know the word phobos. It's the Greek word for fear. We use it in English, right? Phobia, arachnophobia, agoraphobia. Um, I, I like that the ESV translators chose the word uh, reverence out of reverence for Christ because there is a connotation, a usage of the word uh, fear in Greek as well as in Hebrew that we don't really use in English, right? Maybe you know the verse from the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you're like, I don't get it. Is, is God a bad guy and I gotta be scared of him? Like, is he, is he what's, I'm, I'm confused by that. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, we could look at what C.S. Lewis says in The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe is a really beautiful quote we could talk about that we don't have time for. Um, but, uh, but I think the best way I can describe this connotation of fear is to think about the ocean, right? Have you ever been, I, I certainly have, have you ever been in the ocean when the waves are huge and massive and violent, right? And you get pulled into them and they start smashing you over and over and over again, right? And you're disoriented. You don't know which way is up and which way is down. And you realize how powerful these waves are. And eventually you, you like crawl out and you get out of the ocean and you get on the, on the shore. And I promise you the next time you go to the beach and listen to the waves, it's going to be a different, more profound experience, because there is a fear, there is a reverence, there is an awe of the might and power of this seemingly eternal almost body of water that, that roars and tears into the shore. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, place yourselves under one another out of fear, out of reverence, out of awe for Jesus. It's powerful and beautiful. And then we go back there, and now we look at verse 22, and it says, uh, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And we click on this. We click on the interlinear slash concordance to look at the Greek. Um, and we see the word ho, which means like a or the. It's an article. It's not particularly relevant in this verse. And it says wives, and then we have the word idios, which gets translated as be subject to your own or submit to your own. 
And we think that's interesting. That's a different verb for submit than we saw in the last verse, right? Hupotasso is what we saw. So we click on idios and we realize as we look at this that the word idios actually just means like his own, her own, their own. It means like your own. And we look closely at this verse in the Greek and we'll realize there is no verb in verse 22 for submit. And what that means is that a more faithful translation of, of the, and, and you gotta go to the earliest manuscripts to see this really clearly, uh, but a more faithful translation of the earliest Greek manuscripts of what Paul actually said to the Ephesians would read, wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, that doesn't make sense. Wives, what to your own husbands as to the Lord? I don't know, there's nothing in, like I, I don't see, you know, this is the beginning of a section heading. Where's, oh, we gotta go back to verse 21 that has the verb for the sentence that our English translators for some reason have chosen to split into different sections. And we realize that it reads, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Why is that important? If you're new to church, you're like, I don't, what is he, what's going on? This is important because there are faithful believers of Jesus who want to submit their lives to the will of God, who have been faithfully reading the word of God and have seen, in, in the English for a long time, who read this passage and say, oh, there seems to be a unique call for wives to submit to their husbands that doesn't exist for husbands to submit to their wives. And there are smarter people than me that disagree with me, uh, but it seems to me that that's not what's happening, that there is a call for husbands to submit to wives as much as for wives to submit to husbands, that you can't include the word submit in verse 22 unless you recognize the call for husbands to submit. There is a mutuality in every thought that Paul articulates in this passage of Ephesians 5 and 6. Um, in fact, his emphasis, you'll see in verse 24, we'll see should submit in the English, should submit, also not in the Greek there. Um, so it's, it's just, and I'm not saying, now, now am I saying that, that, that Paul is not saying wives submit to your husbands? Absolutely, that is not what I'm saying. Paul is definitely saying wives submit to your husbands. The English translators are not crazy for putting that verb in there. Paul is calling wives to submit to their husbands. He's also calling husbands to submit to their wives. And then Paul goes on and he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He's not saying, you know, the wives are inferior and so they should love their husbands more. And he's also not saying the husbands are inferior, therefore they should love their wives more. There's a mutual call to love. We, we skipped it, but verse two calls for, for a mutuality of love in the church. He's saying, no, neither is inferior. Paul is saying, you know, Aristotle says that the husband is like the superior soul over the inferior body. Paul is saying, no, the husband is like the head, a part of the body. The part of the body, in fact, that, that imparts honor to the rest of the body. The part that cherishes and nourishes the rest of the body. You are one with your wife. For this reason, the two shall leave their father and mother and become one flesh. And there's other stuff going on that I wish I had time to chime in on. Um, uh, that, he's, that he really is. is uh, but you can actually, I talked about it briefly last service. I had a little more time. Um, you could watch that online if you wanted to. Um, man, can you imagine if in your marriage, if instead of the question of, hey, who's right and who gets to like have veto rights and say this is what's happening when we disagree, can you imagine if the question instead was, who's gonna submit to the other out of fear for Christ first, wholeheartedly? Who's gonna love the other more and lay their life down for the other? Can you imagine what that would do to your relationship? And Paul goes on, right, and he uh, continues and he speaks to the, to the children now. He pivots uh, topic a little bit. He says, uh, children, obey your parents. And if you look in the Greek and Hebrew, we'll, we'll be done with Blue Letter Bible. You can do that on your own. Uh, you'll see that the word uh, for obey is a good translation. Slightly more literal would be the word listen to. And it means exactly what it means in English. If I tell you listen to me, I mean obey me. 
But I also mean a little bit more, don't I? I mean, hear me, absorb what I'm saying, learn from what I'm saying. And maybe, like, there's a small fraction of time when I would say, listen to me, and you would listen and absorb the information, and you might not do exactly what I'm saying, and that wouldn't be disobeying me, that wouldn't be rejecting me, but you've heard and absorbed all that I said. Mostly, it still definitely means obey, though. I'm not trying to dilute that. Um, And then he says, honor your father and mother. He's quoting the Ten Commandments. And I love the way, actually, my dad um, raised me up teaching about this exact passage. He says, you know, honor your father and mother. if, If your mom asks you to take out the trash, you actually have four possible answers you can give her. There is a yes with honor. There is a yes without honor. There is a no without honor. And there is a no with honor. A yes with honor would be, yeah, mom, I'd love to take out the trash. Let me do that right now. I love you so much. You're so great. A yes without honor would be, sure, why don't I just stop what I'm doing? It's not important, and I'll take out the trash because the trash is so important, and you're so cool, mom. You see, they're saying yes, but there's no honor, right? And then there's a no without honor. Anybody with teenagers has heard this one, right? It's like, no, I'm not taking out the trash. You're a piece of trash yourself. Why don't you take it out? (laughs) Yeah, I know that there are parents in the room who have heard that exact same thing, right? Um, And then there's a no with honor that would say, mom, I would love to take the trash out. I'm really busy right now or my leg's kind of sore or whatever. Like, no, is there any way you could take it out instead? And you're saying no, but you're still honoring. You could really even say you're still obeying as you say no because there's honor. You're certainly still listening to, absorbing, taking it in. And we in our culture do not understand honor well. This is not a strength of Western culture. Now, I'm not saying we don't understand that at all. We're human beings. We're made in the image of God. God is very honoring. We have this. But we need to learn this better from other believers, from, from believers from cultures like Middle Eastern cultures and Asian cultures and African cultures who are walking with Jesus, and they just, in the air they breathe, have honor. When my wife and I lived in Indonesia, I learned so much about honor. It's so baked into their culture that it's baked into their language. Anytime you see anybody, right, they're always bapak, ibu, ka, which is like father, mother, or older sibling. Even if they're younger than you, you, you would call them ka, older sibling. Even if they're not your dad or your mom, you call them bapak or ibu. Right? And you bow to them. And, and in, the, in the West, we get confused when we see Asians bowing to each other and we think, oh, they're worshiping one another. We think, well, that's weird. No, that's not what's happening. They're submitting to one another, placing themselves under one another. I mean, I'm sure there are those who pervert it, but certainly when, when Asian believers do this, they're, they're putting themselves below one another out of reverence, out of fear, out of awe for Jesus. Because he did something so powerful that I ought to place myself down. I love in Indonesia, if you're walking in front of someone, kind of cutting them off in the grocery store or something, you know, you do this. They get down like this and they do kind of one of these. And it's a really funny, it's really funny look. It's like what you would do if you're walking in front of the projector. Because they're just trying to say with their very body language, like, I am not greater than you. I'm sorry I got to walk in front of you, but I'm going to place myself below you. Um, and it's beautiful. They have this thing in their language where they speak in the third person, which is weird, and it's meant to express apex honor and love. The way you would speak to your grandma, to say, Grandma, you are the matriarch of the family and your grandma. And so Alec, like, like Grandma, could Alec, get, could, could Alec get Grandma a drink? Gr- uh, could, would Grandma like to sit on the couch? Would, would Grandma like something to eat? Alec would love to bring that. In every sentence you speak, you're communicating affection and honor. 
It makes me feel honestly naked sometimes when I'm speaking in English because I miss being able to just reciprocate the mutuality of honor. We gotta figure this out, guys. Jesus calls us to do this. Peter, David read this verse in 1 Peter a couple weeks ago. Peter says, honor everyone. Honor does not just mean publicly acknowledge the great things someone has done and then secretly say that they're crap behind their back. Honor is something of a posture of the heart that interacts and infuses every interaction we have every single day with everyone who's made in the image of God. And then Paul continues on and he speaks to the fathers and he says to the fathers, uh, fathers, and I'm just, for sake of time, I'm just gonna skip to what the, what the, uh, uh, what the Greek, uh, just digging a little bit deeper would say if I were to translate it. It's fathers, nourish up your children. And that word nourish up, we saw it just a few verses before, we, not in the, in the English, but in the Greek, when he says husbands, you know, they're, they're, no one ever hated their body, but they nourish it and they cherish it. How strange it is to tell fathers to nourish their children when it's the wives whose body is designed to literally nourish the child. Paul is saying something pretty countercultural here. Fathers, nourish up your children. Learn from mom how to nourish up your children. Can you imagine the paterfamilias who can have anybody in the oikos, you know, being, uh, have any of them executed? And Paul is saying, learn from mom how to nourish the baby, how to nourish the kids. Man, shocking. And he says, he, says, he goes on from that, and he says, in the, in the discipline, the word that we have in the Greek, but the word padia uh, in, in the Greek there is like the word that the slave would have done for the child. Um, it, would, it, would be, it would be the holistic uh, maturation process, process and education process that would involve the body, the soul, the mind, the spirit, the emotions that that, that that tutor, that that slave would use to raise up the kid. He's saying, fathers, raise up your kids in the discipleship of the Lord. Get involved. Don't just like outsource that. And lastly, Paul speaks to the slaves, and this is where we get the most uncomfortable, right? Slaves, obey your masters with fear and trembling. And we think, I'm done. <laughs> I can't believe you just said that, right? Obey your masters with fear and trembling as to the Lord, not unto man, with, not with lip service, but with a sincere heart, he's saying. And you can hear the voice of wicked men in the American South a few hundred years back using this exact passage to say, you gotta obey me, it says right here. But those men distorted the word of God by failing to go up to the very next verse that then says, uh, masters do the same to them and stop your threatening if that wasn't clear enough. And furthermore, if that wasn't clear enough, the same master who is your master is their master and he's in heaven. And if we take this literally, this is why people say, did Paul mean this? And I think absolutely he did. What Paul is calling for is shocking. People say, well, why doesn't the New Testament call for the abolition of slavery? How twisted that this book doesn't do that. It should have done that if it was the revelation of God. What Paul is calling for is far more drastic than the abolition of slavery. No one ever emancipated their slave and said, now you be the master and I'll be your slave. That never happened. This is exactly what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, masters, obey your slaves with fear and trembling as unto the Lord. With a sincere heart, not just with lip service. This is shocking. This is revolutionary, and I think it's significant that Paul doesn't say, hey, let's just, let's just burn it all down and see what rises up from the ashes, but rather he says, no, let's leave the structure in place. That's fine. We'll leave the structure of, of oikos in place, but let's transform it from the inside out with mutuality, with love, with respect, with honor, with mutual submission, mutual placing ourselves under one another. And so where does all of this bring us? 
Here's the little application I got for you after a big just data dump of Bible stuff, right? What does this mean for you and I if we're living life together? Well, it means this. Honor one another. Submit to one another. Place yourselves under one another. Love one another as Christ loved the church, laying his life down for her. Listen to each other. If we don't know how to honor our parents, how will we honor anyone? And that doesn't just apply to the kids under 18 in the room. That applies to the adult children as well. We've got to learn these things. Husbands, submit to your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Wives, love your, love your husbands. Fathers, don't pass off your kids, but nourish them up in the discipleship of the Lord. And those, you know, we don't have a lot of masters or slaves in the room, fortunately. Uh, we, we dealt with that a little while ago. Um, but we have people who are above or below others in organizations, and so employees or students or bosses or teachers or administrators. Obey, listen to, with fear and trembling, those who are above you and those who are below you in the organization. Can you imagine how beautiful it would be if we as the church would live in this way? We're not getting rid of the structure. We're not getting of the rid, rid of the difference between husbands and wives or parents and children or those who are in charge or those who are not in charge, but we're transforming that dynamic. And this is why Jesus got down and wrapped a towel around his waist and washed his disciples' feet and said, if you are going to lead, it's gonna look very different than it does in the world. You're gonna lay your life down. It's gonna be self-sacrificing love. It's gonna be the person in charge submitting to everyone else. And those who are below submitting to everyone else. It's a beautiful vision that Paul lays out that comes right from the heart of God. Um, let's pray really quick and then we're gonna have some baptisms. Lord Jesus, we love you and we worship you. We thank you that you laid this out for us. Lord, we thank you that you exemplified this. Lord, that Paul can say, as Christ loved the church, laying his life down, that you did this first. You led the way by submitting, by considering yourself, as, even though you were God, by not counting yourself above us, but placing yourself below us. How shocking that is. And it has had a profound impact on the entirety of human history ever since and even echoing before the moment you did that. And so let us, Lord, love one another and submit to one another, honor one another, listen to one another out of fear, out of reverence, out of awe for you. And let us do all of that from a place of being filled with your spirit. Amen.